CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Adrian Blust, your co-host and associate producer for Coindesk Podcasts. On today's show, we're taking a deep dive into how Bitcoin mining is making a big splash in a small landlocked country in the middle of the South American continent, and how that is making the small country a focal point in the global mining industry. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Paraguay, a small, relatively unknown landlocked country in the heart of South America. Its abundance of fertile soil, sun, and water in the subtropical climate allows almost anything to grow there. In fact, have you heard of yerba mate? That stimulating, naturally caffeinated drink that's been catching on lately? Well, that comes from Paraguay. You'll see people carrying around huge termos or tumblers of their own homemade version to sip on all day long. It's a slow kind of place. Its economy has been historically driven by agriculture and commodities. Today, Paraguay's most important natural resource is its hydroelectric energy. It's cheap, abundant, and carbon-free, thanks to one of the largest dams in the world. But that resource is not entirely used domestically, which makes Paraguay one of the most attractive places on Earth to mine Bitcoin. But these miners flocking from far and wide have started a battle over energy, regulation, and Paraguay's future. On the one side, miners claim that by consuming that electricity, they bring valuable jobs and tax income to the country. On the other hand, politicians and the grid operator claim they are sucking the energy and bring little in return. To complicate things further, much like many things in South America, corruption is rampant, making it hard to discern who is acting in good faith or who is handing out bribes to get what they want. People are fleeing from Chile, some other people are fleeing from Bolivia, other people are fleeing from Venezuela. So everybody's coming to Paraguay. From the local DIY Bitcoin miners to large multi-million dollar publicly traded Bitcoin farm operations to underground illicit miners washing their dirty cash to the national utilities company, La Administración Nacional de Electricidad, or ANDE, which has a monopoly on energy services over the country, everyone wants to get in on creating a regulatory framework that would be best for them. You know, the market will always be ahead than the law. You know, the law comes after, and it happens in every country. The rule book still has to be written, and the rule book will be written. I don't like government intervention at all. And I believe, like, the true miners, the small miners, the individuals, they don't like government intervention at all, also. We need a legal framework that protects the companies that do things correctly. That's the issue. El sistema te obliga. Vos querés hacer todo legal, derecho. El sistema te obliga a hacer por el otro lado. 
Porque si no, no avanzas. No avanzas. The only thing that Paraguay has of any value right now is energy. We're the largest producer of energy per capita in South America and in the world, actually. Paraguay, if you have money, you have power. And if you have power, you control the game. You control the country. And we landed right in the middle of all of this. Now, full disclosure, I am half Paraguayan. Yo soy parte paraguayo. My mom was born there. Bye, Shabbat. But when I heard that another Coindesk reporter happened to be in Paraguay around the same time that I was there, I was like, what? How did two Coindesk reporters happen to be in Paraguay almost at the same time and unplanned? So I invited her to join us for this special series on Markets Daily. Not only because we both happen to be in Paraguay, but Eliza, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, Adrian. I'm Eliza Gritzi. I'm a senior reporter at Coindesk, and I focus on crypto mining, which pretty much exclusively means Bitcoin mining these days. And why, out of all places where there's Bitcoin mining, did you travel to Paraguay? I went to Paraguay because at the time there was a lot of chatter about its role in the mining industry, and I was very intrigued as to why. It's not exactly an international business hub, And I was especially interested because mining in North America and other conventional hubs was not doing great at the time and still isn't really, with many people proclaiming that Bitcoin mining in the U.S. is dead. So there is a lot of interest in diversifying jurisdictions and Latin America is at the top of the list. Now, since we were there in the autumn of 2022, this has become even more true with regulation in the U.S. and Northern Europe that looks to sort of curb mining. You can read our reporting on all that on Coindesk. I mean, few people even really know about Paraguay. So I was thrilled to hear that you had made it there. Well, um, to be honest, I'm always kind of down to go to that type of place. So it's not really a hard sell for me. But really, for my reporting, these countries are especially interesting. There is a lot of talk about what mining can do for countries and for development, for electric grids, how mining can be a source of, of good in the world. And Paraguay has so much beautiful green power and really nothing to do with it, at least right now. So it's a perfect case study for these assumptions. Of course, as usual, reality was much more complicated than the assumptions. But Adrian, to be honest with you, I, I get your feelings about someone going to Paraguay because I'm also from a small country, but you like really lost your mind over this. Is there something that makes this sort of putting Paraguay on the map especially important or surprising to you? Paraguay is not just unknown. It's also one of the most untouched countries in the world in terms of westernization. I'm sure you picked up on that. But I'd argue because of that, it's a hidden gem. The pre-colonist indigenous language, or Guarani, is still spoken there. And there's an enchanting quality to the culture here because it's stayed away from some of the pressures of globalization. Suddenly, seeing big money and big people coming in from Germany, Switzerland, the Czech Republic, Canada, and huge entities piling in their money here was crazy to me. Like, what are you doing here and how did you find out about us? Well, it turns out we were both late to the game. <laughs> The history of Bitcoin mining runs back as far as 2010, just one year after the inception of the original cryptocurrency from the mysterious Satoshi Nakamoto. 
It was a timid entry, where only a few crypto enthusiasts in the capital city of Asuncion used their central processing units to mine Bitcoin. Luis, or Lucho Benitez, who would later become a pioneer in the space, was there and can attest to interest increasing with people eventually evolving to ASICs as BTC reached parity with the dollar in 2011. But up until 2017, the Paraguayan Bitcoin mining community was still very small. Some of them were in the east side of the country, in Ciudad del Este, which translates to City of the East, where the Itaipu Hydroelectric Dam is located. That's the main producer of Paraguay's cheap energy, and we'll take a tour and get more into this in a bit. So, even in its earliest stages, Bitcoin mining already had a connection with Itaipu. In 2018, with the onset of the crypto boom and bull market, Brazilians started to get in on Bitcoin mining in Paraguay, and at a larger scale, creating Bitcoin mining farms with 6,000 machines near the dam. The first operation being CoinPY, a Brazilian crypto mining firm still operating today in Ciudad del Este. And by late 2018, international interest in Bitcoin mining had grown significantly, and so did the mining community in Paraguay. I think we can separate the Bitcoin miners in Paraguay in three. The crypto people who basically knows Bitcoin and basically the homemade miners. The second group, I think, are like these big corps, like international holdings who basically have a lot of farms in different countries. So they see like a good opportunity to mine in Bitcoin very cheap in Paraguay. The third group, I think, is going to be criminals. This is Joaquin. My name is Joaquin Mourinho. I am from Paraguay. A young gun activist facilitating crypto education and events in Latin America. Founder of CryptoPY. It's the first website about news in Paraguay about crypto news and stocks and we make our event. El Crypto Summit del Sur is the biggest crypto event in Paraguay. So we have three types of miners and one of them is related to criminal activity. Particularly Eastern Paraguay is something of a hub for trafficking of illicit goods such as drugs and weapons. They discovered like mining Bitcoin is a good for money laundry. So basically they use their dirty money to buy ASICs to build his infrastructure and they use all their dirty money and they create Bitcoin and their Bitcoins are clean money. I think the criminals in their majority are in the border, in the cities who basically share frontier with Brazil because Paraguay and Brazil are country brothers. And you have the big corps in Villarrica and in Hernandarias even because the they signs agreements with the company who provides energy. It's funny, in Paraguay we have the ANDE, the National Energy Administration, who basically sells energy. And in Hernandarias we have a lot of miners because they sign up a good contract with ANDE. Like, right now we have, I think, three or four different companies who firm a long contract with access to uh, a 100 megas, uh, megas in energy. It's a lot. It's historic in Paraguay. In other words, according to Joaquin, you have some bad actors, but you also have some good players buying up historically large blocks of energy, but both of them building on the east side of the country, in areas known as Hernandarias or Ciudad del Este, on the border of Brazil and Paraguay, right next to Itaipu. Now, Itaipu is a binational project. It's shared between Brazil and Paraguay because it sits literally on the board, so they have to share it. And back in the 1970s, the two countries were figuring out how were they gonna manage this project, and they negotiated a deal. Brazil would fund most of the projects, I'm really simplifying here, and Paraguay would owe Brazil a lot of money for it. 
And that debt was just now paid off in March. And according to that deal, also, the two countries share the generated electricity equally. So they each get about seven gigawatts of power, which is a lot of power. I cannot stress this enough. It's a lot of power. However, Paraguay, being an an industrialized country of only six million people, which really doesn't compare to Brazil, doesn't actually use most of that power. So it just sells it back to Brazil for a pretty cheap price, according to the treaty. Here's how it works. 10% of the total energy from Itaipu powers 90% of Paraguay. Ande, which is a state-owned company with political underpinning and vast monopoly powers over Paraguay's grid, buys that power from the Itaipu company. The remaining 90% of the energy, Paraguay sells back to Brazil for dirt cheap. Eliza and I were able to get inside of Itaipu and take a tour with the engineers to learn about how it all works. So, let's take a tour. So we have like 10 Iguazu folds going through wow. when we have 100% running. The turbines are located 80 meters below. So the function of the penstock is to take the water from the water intakes up there to the turbine. So actually the water has a lot of space to go down, crash into the turbine, making it spin to produce energy. With 17 turbines, Brazil can supply more than 20% of their country. Will be the big and important city that they have. Rio Janeiro, São Paulo, Mato Grosso, Campo Grande, Minas Gerais, etc. Brazil normally uses 90% in Itaipu. We only take 10%. And 10% is enough to cover more than 90%. We followed the engineers deeper into the dam where we got to get up close to one of the massive turbines spinning at full capacity. You could really sense the amount of energy that this thing was generating. I mean, the inertia of it was hard to fathom. It was positioned kind of like a kebab sitting upright with a rod going down the middle and a giant hunk of metal hurling around it. So this single turbine here that you can hear, that's 700 megawatts worth of electricity being generated. This is the sound. That's enough to power a city the size of Paris. Itaipu is acting as main power producer. We are the factory. What Itaipu has is a very coveted resource for miners. They need tons of power to operate their machines. And there are a few reasons for that. So first of all, as Bitcoin has grown, so has the industry. And because of how the network is set up, the more it grows, the difficulty of mining also grows which is a technical way that literally makes it more difficult for any single miner to successfully mine a block. And as it becomes more difficult, your cost of power becomes more and more important. Now, secondly, on top of that, cheap power has become a lot harder to find in the sort of usual suspect jurisdictions because they're becoming less friendly to miners and energy prices have also soared thanks to the war in Ukraine. And now number three, and this is also quite interesting, finding green or renewable power for your operations is also more important 
because there is this sort of new pressure from investors to have assets and invest in companies that follow ESG principles. So Paraguay, which boasts a pretty low price at about like three to three and a half cents per kilowatt hour of electricity, is a really, really promising environment for mining, especially because all of that power is completely green. And that is quite frankly a much, much better deal than you're going to get pretty much anywhere else in the world. Nowadays, you not only need energy, you need cheap energy. And if it's possible, you need green energy. Well, we have all of them. This is Nelson Cristallo. I am an electrical engineer. I am a miner. I also do advising for several companies here, the distribution companies, advisor of the board of director of Clipsa. I do advising for Congress. Paraguay has a maximum demand of energy of about 3,500 megawatts, which is like, it's very, very low, small country. For the whole country? For the whole country. And we have installed generation of 6,000 megawatts for Paraguay in Itaipu. It's like a joint venture with Brazil. It is one of the largest hydroelectrics in the world with a total of 12,000 megawatts. Paraguay owns 6,000. And then we have another very large hydroelectric. It's called Yacireta. It's a joint venture with Argentina. And we have another 1,500 megawatts owned by Paraguay. So you have almost 8,000 megawatts of installed capacity, of which we only utilize at the peak maximum 3,500. As a result, this is why companies are looking at Latin America, a region that still has untapped energy potential. Today, the cost of production for Paraguay at Itaipu is around 32, sometimes 30, 30, $33 per megawatt. Many industrial miners in the U.S. are facing prices over that. Ande is one of the most powerful, no pun intended, entities in Paraguay, and it's also one of the most controversial. It has a strong political grasp on the Paraguayan government, and vice versa, and a monopoly over the energy grid. Eliza actually was able to step into Andes headquarters in Asuncion and have a pretty in-depth conversation with them. Yeah, so I went to the Ande headquarters, and this was very interesting because this was at the end of my like 10 days, two weeks in Paraguay. I heard a lot about Ande, and definitely an image was forming in my mind. And when I visited their offices, it did feel like stepping through a time machine and into this kind of like 70s or 80s bureaucracy. All the walls were covered in sort of wood paneling and there were all these like very analog services going on on the ground floor with people lining up and there were stacks of paper everywhere. So it definitely kind of looked like a sort of bloated institution from a different time. And then I got to have this conversation with commercial manager, and I'm sorry if I mispronounce this, Rodiz Holon Alvarenga, which was really fascinating because as usual, what you hear about people isn't necessarily the truth. So he broke it down to me quite clearly, and he sort of admitted that without the tariff increase, Ande is in deep trouble financially and they are making losses and things are not really great for them and they don't have the money to fund the development of the infrastructure so that they can deliver good services to people. And 
he was also quite open about the fact that he thinks that mining doesn't really contribute much to society and that given that Ande needs this money for infrastructure, he was kind of saying that we might as well get it from them because they're taking all this electricity and so why not charge them more so that they could contribute more relative to the power that they're consuming. So the industry has found itself in this fight, in this conflict with the local grid operator, Ande, and some members of the legislature who claim that the grid cannot handle this excess load. And they also claim that the mining industry doesn't really benefit the local economy and society. They don't really employ a lot of people. And so in about August, Ande, the state-owned company that managed the grid, asked the government to increase the electricity tariff just for the miners by about 60% over the industrial rate. So the miners would pay 60% more than what everybody else pays. So Ande expressed pretty clearly that they are concerned that the mining industry is going to overwhelm the grid, as well as their finances as a company. Their 60% tariff is their attempt to try and recuperate their losses, perhaps exploiting the industry to swing some kind of a profit. However, the tariff that's specific to the miners simply makes Bitcoin mining not profitable or attractive anymore. Because what they had said in this whole process is, oh no, your industry is furtive, we're going to diminish this. We're going to have this, if you want to consume energy, you'll have to pay the price that the U.S. rent pays. And we said, no, it's not, I mean, you can't do that specifically because energy is a civil right here in Paraguay. For you to be increasing the price of energy for a subsector of the economy and more small Paraguayan companies, because most of the companies that work within Paraguay in mining are small Paraguayan companies. This is Fernando Arriola. I'm CFO of Nova Labs, which is a virtual asset service provider in Paraguay. We are mining, hosting, and we're establishing financial services for national and international companies in Paraguay. He also plays a major leadership role in Paraguay's fintech chamber, and he's trying to create a regulatory framework for Paraguay that protects businesses from small local private crypto companies to large publicly traded international mining operations. We are legal entities, all young people, a lot of foreign people that are investing millions of dollars in an unprotected industry in Paraguay. I heard from a few companies trying to install their mining operations in Paraguay that the current system doesn't make it easy for you to run your crypto business. And they already knows about this and they don't know what to do now. They don't know how they're going to charge people for mining. They don't know how. At least, if you're trying to do things legally. So the government is asking them, I'm not going to say the government, I'm so sorry. So there's, because it's not the government, it's people. You know, they are taking advantage of their positions to ask for coimas. Bribes. Now, it gets a little bit complicated when we try to figure out exactly who knows what because we're talking a very big organization so whether there's you know like a few people in the east of the country which know about this and maybe get bribes about this whether that means that somebody in the central administration like mr alvarenga know about it is a difficult question to answer 
But one person who works in the technical aspect of the grid, they said that they have seen evidence of this practice in their work and that they have seen that Ande employees let things slide with regards to these operations that they shouldn't let slide according to the protocol, let's say. If you ask miners, most of them will tell you that the electricity thefts in the east of the country where you have these clandestine operations plugging into the grid and paying very low, if anything, for power. All this happens with Andes complicitly, at least in the eastern parts of the country. So when I pressed the manager about this, and I was trying to figure out exactly what the sort of central Ande administration knows, he told his translator to kind of just, oh, just tell her it's really difficult and not really give much more reason because he wanted to evade the question, perhaps. Another miner who isn't in cahoots with Ande said the local police tried to extract a bribe from him and confiscated his mining machines when he argued he wasn't doing anything technically illegal. We're just standing still, not doing anything. Ande doesn't want to sell us any electricity, not a single bit, nothing. They don't want to sell to us. Why would we do illegal things just to work? This isn't illegal. Mining isn't prohibited in any way. It's not an illegal activity here in Paraguay. However, there's a whole political issue that you'll discover little by little. They realized there was a lot of mining going on, so they started attacking the miners. First, those who were connecting with clandestine connections, and then everyone, anyone involved in mining. They go with a search warrant to any place where they suspect there's mining. Look at what they accuse us of, even though mining isn't illegal. Fraudulent production, which would be something like producing fraudulent documents, scams, money laundering, financing terrorism. They throw in a bunch of things that have nothing to do with crypto assets. They go to your place, find your place. And if you have mining and mining machines, it doesn't even matter if they're on or off. If you have mining machines, they extort you like this. You pay me a certain amount for me to say I didn't find anything. Or if you don't pay me, I take the machines, like the summons order says. And they take the machines if you don't pay. How much do you have to pay? $30,000. Because later, even if you're a mining operation running legally, paying for your energy, everything, you still have to pay another monthly amount so they don't bother you anymore. That is, pay the dollars up front so they write in the report that they didn't find anything. And then you have to pay to not be bothered or be allowed to work. Monthly, it works as if it were illegal. The system forces you. You want to do everything right? The system forces you to go the other way. Because if not, you don't move forward. I even asked the miner, who requested to remain anonymous. If you're using so much time and energy, consistently trying to do things correctly, in a regulated way to simply operate your Bitcoin mining business, what keeps you here in Paraguay? We believe that we're doing the right thing, that we're doing things correctly, and that's the motivation. Not letting the system beat you, because if everyone lets the system win, things will never change. If everyone gives in to the system, the system will always win, and it'll never change. We need a legal framework that protects the companies that do things correctly. That's the issue.
We'll be right back after this short break. This is Paraguay's Bitcoin Hustle with Markets Daily on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Now, as it stands, all crypto mining is in a pseudo-legal gray area, meaning they cannot really say we are miners. They say we are data centers, you know, so it's just like a matter of um, semantics, I believe, <laughs> you know, but uh, but the reality is like you're supposed to, I mean, if it's a legal enterprise, then it's not going to be a problem, right? Well, you'd hope, but unfortunately, as we just heard from some miners, they're still receiving pressure from the system using this legal gray area to their advantage. But on top of that, the banking sector says, no, you all are the same. You're going to go steal money, launder money. So they're saying, no, nobody can play. Nobody can open a bank account. Nobody has access to international transfers. Nobody can do a international financial insurance policy, nothing. Which basically means that if you want to own a bank account and the bank suspects you are involved in crypto, they will close your account, according to Fernando. So that's what happened. In 2019, they closed everybody's accounts. Everybody. What? Over lunch at a nice restaurant in Asuncion called Caru, Fernando and I talked for quite some time unpacking the history of Ande, policy, and mining. And he broke it down a bit further. And this stood out to me. Ande made this resolution, and they're not figuring out, oh, we can't keep any of this because nobody's going to be able to pay us. What happened after that? There's some people that are paying in cash right now. These people are paying off the Ande... Yeah, in cash. In cash. In they, can't do an in, they can't do international electronic or, transfers. Correct? Or national in, in, okay. national transfers. Okay. Either or. So they're they're trading their their USDT or Bitcoin for cash dollar in Paraguay. Guaranis. In Guaranis. And that's what they're doing because there's no real supervised way to exchange money here, to do the conversion from crypto to fiat. And then what do they do with that cash? They go and physically take it to one of the offices of Ande. To two offices of Ande. Because Bocas de Cobranza, which are points of payment, are refusing to accept any more cash. How often does that happen? Every month. Every month, someone from the mining facilities out in, let's say, Hernandarias, yeah. the other list that goes with how much cash, you think? Uh, in between, depending on your consumption of energy, but think about it in this way, one megawatt of consumed power is $56,000, which is about 350 million guaranias. And 350 million guaranias is a backpack full of money. And that's for one megawatt. There's people that had five megawatts. So that's... $250,000. So that's five cash. bags. A very large duffel bag or a few backpacks. And this is happening every month. And these are the people that are not stealing energy, my friend. For the smaller miners, the story isn't any different. For our industry, we can't use banks here. We can't use bank transfers. As an industry, if we want our company to have a bank account, we can't do that. And for us, that was super important to pay things like electricity bills, pay things like customs. This is Daniel Veloso. Hey, pleasure to meet you. We met at the Crypto Summit del Sur. Remember that event that Joaquin was telling us about earlier? I had the opportunity to join them in Ciudad del Este, where I met a handful of other miners from young entrepreneurs to big capital foreign investors. Daniel is an Argentinian with a mission. I'm a fellow miner. I've been mining for a while, since 2015. I have a few projects in Argentina and Paraguay. 
We're currently here with mining.com.py. We're a consultant company where we offer distribution of machines. We help miners grow in Paraguay. I do enjoy seeing how Latin America can grow. There's a lot of electricity here and there's a lot of opportunities for foreign investors to come and help this country grow. Other larger privately funded companies investing in Paraguay, such as Penguin, also chimed in. Banks are not really positive towards it. So there's no bank in Paraguay that allows you to custody crypto assets of any kind. And also on top of that, it's a tricky matter because Paraguayan banks typically are not large international banks. This is Niklas, a young entrepreneur originally from Germany. But after studying in Switzerland and hosting a few hackathons, he took a big leap with his colleague and friend Bjorn, also from Germany, to lead one of the biggest privately funded Bitcoin mining operations in Paraguay. They do a lot more than mine Bitcoin, and we'll get more into that later. But he continues to share some of the difficulties that their company faced. So they typically have correspondence banks that might be opposing crypto custody, crypto assets, Bitcoin per se. And for that reason, it's difficult for Paraguayan banks to bank companies that are Bitcoin mining related or otherwise crypto related right now. But who knows, maybe changes in the future. Indeed, it became clear that change was necessary. So Fernando and his team got together to try and reform the regulation. With the FinTech Chamber of Paraguay, we started working with the government trying to expose the necessities for regulations for cryptocurrency trading and emissions in the country. It's, it's our job to do this. Because if we don't change the structure of how things work, then we will have to leave this country and take all our investments out of here. So we're not going to reinvent the, or the way that our legal system works. We're trying to include it, and we're trying for the regulatory authorities to understand what kind of asset this is, for them to understand how to regulate it and how we do things in the, in the right way. So the law stipulates that individual and corporate miners, they will have to request authorization for the industrial use of electricity and apply for essentially a license. And it also creates a registry for individuals or legal entities aiming to provide crypto trading or custody services for third parties. This is a fairly common framework we've seen in many jurisdictions around the world with regards to crypto. And this bill that Fernando and his team have proposed would cap this percentage to 15%. So miners would only pay 15% more than what everybody else pays for industrial power. And that has been a major sticking point for the grid operator and the government, as well as the miners on the other side. In December, the country Senate had approved the bill, but in May, the lower house passed it with modifications. So they made amendments. So then it had to go back to the Senate to be voted again. We went into the socialization process. So we presented this, the modifications in a social environment and where the people, the public came and took a look at the bill. A lot of people didn't like it because it was motivating regulation and a lot of people in crypto don't want regulation. So what happened in Cámara de Diputados? Cámara de Diputados and they started lobbying and started doing publications to pretty much thrash and slander mining. There's only one article about mining that concerns Ande, which is giving them prepayment, giving them the possibility to accept a warranty in cash, 
giving them a possibility to regulate how much energy we we're going to consume, but it caps their, the price of energy. And this main concern was subsection E of the bill, where it capped on this energy tariff at 15%, which would be, to their credit, significantly lower from the current 60% tariff that Ande demands. One of the concerns about the 60% Bitcoin mining tariff, though, is that it might motivate even the legal miners to begin mining illegally, due to it not being as profitable. What's going to be allowed to happen if there isn't a law? There are a lot of clandestine connections where energy is stolen. A lot. And what's going to happen if you raise the rates and make it almost impossible to get legal energy? What do you think is going to happen? The illegal connections will proliferate. And what happens with illegal connections? The Ande officials take bribes to allow those illegal connections. When Eliza spoke with Andy's commercial manager, Rodis Rolón Alvarenga, she asked him directly, Is Andy concerned that, like, by increasing the tariff, there's going to be more illegal mining? To which he said, Es un riesgo, meaning it is a risk. And according to Alvarenga, they're just as motivated to stop illicit use of energy just as much as anyone else. Some people are sometimes talking, uh, talking about the Bitcoin mining tax. That's not really the case because it's not a percentage tax. It's just a tariff. It's a specific tariff for crypto mining that has different rates at different voltage levels. And of course, then it depends on which voltage level you buy, right? So are you willing to make an investment into electrical infrastructure or not? That's a question. How long term is your business? How do you operate in terms of your economics? What type of machines you run, right? There's certain machines that are more efficient, certain machines that are less efficient, typically Older machines are less efficient, right? So it's more difficult for older machines at low Bitcoin prices to sustain profitable, right? Nelson Cristallo broke it down a bit further. Paraguay is like a tier three in terms of buying machines, like the machines that Paraguayans or local companies, even they are not Paraguayans, you know, they bring to Paraguay are old machines, secondhand machines, low hash rate machines, but they use the cheap energy to justify the ROI. You know, I mean, you can buy a very low price, bring them in here, and in less than a year, you get your return. The law, the law proposes a maximum increase for miners of 15% of the actual uh, industrial tariff, which is very low, you know. And Ande was very concerned in this, in this sense, you know. But the main reason Ande is concerned is, again, because they are technically bankrupt, you know, technically bankrupt. And so the overall image we get is we have this developing country with this coveted resource, this really valuable resource where Bitcoin miners are flocking like bees to honey. And the state-owned monopoly operator of the grid says that the industry is bringing very little to the country. And so what they're asking for is more money. They want to charge them more. And within the mining industry, you have different players and they express different motives or approaches to this problem. Some of them, they want to formalize the industry and they want to create a stable framework to operate legally and be in peace and not have to worry about anything. Some of them, they don't mind this tax less, laissez faire states. And some, well, I mean, some of them, they, they don't really want to engage or hear from the government at all. But unanimously, everybody we spoke to agrees on one thing. 
They want to keep mining. They want to keep their businesses running. In Paraguay, we have zero percent taxes in crypto and in foreign income. I mean, you go to Asuncion here, the capital, or you go to Villa Rica, and it is amazing. It's like a very, very nice and quiet place to work and very friendly, especially with miners. They have like a big community, they have barbecues, you know, it's like everybody helping each other and so on. Not the same situation with, of course, Ciudad del Este, where you have all the pirates, but that's like a small, small city in Paraguay where all these wrong things are happening, you know, and wrongdoing and the corruption, but it's only one small city out of the entire country. The resources are cheap and abundant. The industry is trying to push back for fear of extinction. And as we heard from some miners, they simply want to be able to own a bank account, make national bank transfers, and pay their electric bills without the hassle of carrying literal loads of cash to the front door of Ande. And all of this conversation about the tariff is taking center stage in a debate over a legislation that does a lot more than that. For one thing, it starts with defining what cryptocurrencies are. So the basis of the bill is to actually establish what are cryptocurrencies, what denominations do they have. So for cryptocurrencies in Paraguay, what is the denomination? They'll be private securities. So a big chunk of the bill is actually establishing these are private securities. And to establish what private securities and what laws the, they have to go under. Notably, this is an ongoing global discussion about who should have the authority to regulate certain financial markets. And right now in the United States, it's a debate mainly between the Commodities Future Trading Commission, or CFTC, and the Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, where both organizations are trying to gain as much control as possible over these markets to bring them within their jurisdiction. But with the current trends in regulation of the crypto industry in North America, mining companies, pool services, and exchanges from small to large are looking elsewhere for business. And a lot of miners have their eyes on Paraguay, as the path forward does seem shapeable. Think about it, we just heard from the people that were writing the bill, pitching it to Congress, and working with the miners in Ande. You actually have a chance to be a part of the future of crypto regulation in Paraguay. And there's a grand opportunity for crypto to thrive in the country, benefiting foreigners and local Paraguayos alike. So what happened to this bill? We'll find out exactly and take a closer look at the future of Bitcoin mining and how things are taking shape in Paraguay in our next part of this series. This is Paraguay's Bitcoin Hustle, right here on Markets Daily on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. And that's our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, send the show an email at podcast at coindesk.com or you can email me directly at adamlevine at coindesk.com. If you like what we're doing, we always appreciate reviews on Apple Podcasts or your preferred listening platform. This episode was produced by Adrian Blust and myself with further support from the podcast team over at coindesk.com. Have a great rest of your day and we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Markets Daily.